Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations like rainbows and ropes or fruity and gummy or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts. Dare to combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. Ahem. <clears throat> The UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking... But I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This is Disasters and Triumphs, a new podcast brought to you by Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Deputy Editor and host of the podcast, and in this series, I'm inviting some of our favourite people from the food world to share pivotal moments in their careers. I'll be asking about first steps, inspiring people they met on the way, and what it felt like when success arrived. We'll also explore the flip side of that and talk about tougher times that knocked them off course, how they got back on track, and what they learnt as a result. Because sometimes failure can be just as inspiring as success. So we're welcoming Asma Com, chef, restaurateur and author to the podcast. Um, after starting a successful supper club from her home in London in 2012, she went on to host a pop-up restaurant, among others, at a Soho pub and eventually found a permanent base with Darjeeling Express in 2017, which started with and remains an all-female team of cooks. In 2019, she appeared in an Emmy-nominated episode of Netflix series Chef's Table and Vogue listed her as one of the most influential women of 2020. Um, Darjeeling Express has recently moved to a new larger site in Covent Garden, and Asma just announced her second cookery book, Amu, will be published in early 2022. So a lot going on, and thanks again for coming along in the midst of all of that and talking to us. Thank you very much, and thank you for the very kind introduction. Uh, it's all true, though, right? <laughs> I think it's all it's it's everything you've done. So and 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 in between all of that, as I was writing it, I was thinking, you know, and there's so much more to this. So hopefully we'll get to talk about a bit of that on the podcast. Because when you try and sum up someone's last few years, 
some of the things we're talking about today are all the bits in between, you know, the bits yeah. that you don't see written up in biographies and stuff. So um, we'll kick off with like a question that I wanted to ask you, which is, um, you know, everybody's cooking journey starts somewhere and you didn't have the, the uh, what I would call a traditional route to becoming a chef. Um, what, what, what point did you decide that you wanted to cook for a living? I knew very early on, uh, you know, while I was still studying law, that this was not what I wanted to do. It gave me no joy to be in court. And I, and I was sitting in and, you know, attending to a lot of cases. And I realized that, you know, no one comes out as a victor in this battle. And I felt that, you know, there must be another way in which I can help people, where I can, you know, make a difference to their lives. And I was afraid to mention to anyone because of the kind of prejudice that people have. They see this as a domestic, you know, uh, slavery almost, that you cook for your family. There is no glory in cooking in my culture. Of course, you go on to MasterChef, you become a big star. But, you know, I grew up in an India where, you know, cooking was seen as something that was drudgery and that was had no respect. And, you know, no one really honored the women who cooked. So that was my upbringing. That is the perceptions I had. Things have changed a lot now. Everybody yeah. wants to be on TV. Everyone <laughs> wants to be uh, an Instagram star and put post up. That has changed a lot. You know, social media, you know, food television, that all has changed. But I really just wanted to cook. And I knew, uh, you know, by the time I had my second child in 2004, that, you know, grow up quickly, grow up quickly so I can start, you know, be that age, you know, where I can become, uh, you know, I, I could start a food business. And that was it. I knew, but I didn't tell anybody because I knew all I'd face is criticism and ridicule. Mm. So what was the moment where, where you kind of switched and you just thought, you know what, I'm doing this? Like, <laughs> I think it was, it was a memory of an incident that happened when I still lived in Cambridge, where a gentleman, you know, I don't know which country he came from, but, you know, very Middle Eastern accent, um, gave me at that time, you know, if you still remember, a big, the 50 pound note was a big note. Yeah. It was a, it was big a big red note. note, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, a big red note. And I had never seen 50 pounds. I had moved into to this country recently. I thought he gave me fake money. And I was selling uh, samosas on the streets of Cambridge uh, to raise funds to equip an ambulance to go into Sarajevo. Sarajevo's siege had just been lifted. And uh, it's a war that a lot of people, you know, may not remember. But it, it was, you know, on our doorstep. And I was selling samosas. And this gentleman bought three and gave me 50 pounds. And he told me that, you know, take this money. There's something in your hands. There's a magic in your hands. That flavor and that taste, your hands are blessed. You will become something one day. And I came back to the table where we were, you know, collecting all the money. And I said, you know, someone gave me fake money, but he said a really nice thing. <laughs> I told him, are you mad? He gave me 50 pounds. I've never seen it. I thought someone gave me fake money, but he said a nice thing. So it's, you know, it's fine. You know, he said something yeah. very beautiful to me as if it was a blessing. Yeah. Just talking about um, inspirational people. I asked you before we met who had been one of the most inspiring or, or a mentor in your case. And you said Vivek Singh, who um, as a, you know, a really famous restaurateur is at his own right. Can you tell us a bit about him and your relationship with him? Yes, I, he was, I, I didn't know him. I 
friend of mine knew him. I invited him to have biryani in my house, you know, like you do. And uh, I called him to thank him for having come to, the, you know, my, my home. And I said, you know, I don't know where. He says, what are you going to do? Where are you going? And I said, you know, I have, I have nowhere to, to do anything. I mean, I'm, I'm just work from home. And he opened his restaurant. And, you know, in 2013, this is January 2013, these things didn't happen. Now it's very common for pop-ups to happen, you know, restaurants to have, you know, residencies with other chefs. You, you, then no one did it. The restaurant was a sacred space. This was their kind of their castle. You didn't bring in, you know, strangers to cook in your space. And, you know, you didn't give space on your platform to people. Vivek did. And Vivek did it at a time when you never found any home cooks in any restaurant. That's even more radical. And he didn't helicopter over me. He just gave me the kitchen, told me my entire staff is yours, service staff. Use all the equipment. Use everything that you want. Go, go, just flourish, do it. And he stood there like a proud father when the meal was over and applauding me, you know, very emotional, saying, you know, she's made me proud. You know, like the, someone would say this. And considering the age difference between us is anything, is nothing, you know, he's... Uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm older than him. I I was really, you know, amazed that someone would be willing to do this when there was no example of that. And Vivek Singh is remarkable. He has stayed a good friend, has always been there to give me advice. Never ever, you know, and this is why, you know, I really wanted him to be on the Netflix uh, episode. I asked for him to be filmed. They couldn't find him. And he very kindly agreed to fly to L.A. for one day to do that recording. Because he said, this is important for me. Uh, you know, I, I want to tell people about you. Of course, none of us ever realized the impact Netflix would have and that it be become so big. But at that time, again, he did that as a, as a way of, of trying to kind of, you know, present my story to the world. He's a remarkable man, very, very commendable, has never tried to bring down anyone, never been vindictive. He's uh, a good guy. And is it, I mean, is it important in that vein for you, you've mentioned your um, amazing team of women, is it important for you to be a mentor to other people? It is very important because I think that this is our duty. Uh, you know, if you, are, if you are not hungry, you have a roof over your head, you're educated, you can afford to buy clothes for yourself, this is it. After that, you need to focus whatever resources you have on lifting up others, you rise by lifting others. My greatest strength and my power doesn't come. And I say this to everybody, please do not reduce your success to your dress size, to your Instagram followers, to your bank balance, the car you drive. You turn around and tell yourself, I lifted this person up from depression. I did this for someone. I gave them an opportunity. I've helped someone. Be proud for that. Be proud for those things because this is where you are the most powerful, the most beautiful, and the most, uh, you know, giving person when you can change someone else's life. This is your, you know, it's not a God-given right for all of us to have health and, you know, happiness and power and education. This was given to you to make a difference to others. This is an old Sufi philosophy. You know, my father always talked about this and it's something I truly believe in. I think that, you know, any good that is, happens to you is an opportunity to, to pass it on. 
pass it on. Yeah. And you mentioned there about success. I was going to ask you when you, you felt like success had arrived. And I'm guessing it's got a lot to do with when you and your team were working properly in, I mean, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here. You tell me. <laughs> no, I, I think that the, the greatest success has been the, the, the freedom and the liberty that I see. It has you know, allowed my women to be free, to break their chains. My, my freedom and my success and my liberty means nothing if I see people around me in chains. And I have seen the breaking of chains of people around me who worked with me, who've been part of this journey from the very beginning. They are Darjeeling Express, you know, uh, not just me. It, and this uh, idea that, you know, I, I think that I feel successful knowing that they have become something, that they feel powerful, that they want to help other people out, that every time an opportunity comes up, they're always discussing, you know, what can we do? Like you know, over the pandemic, they all came in to cook for, you know, hospitals, to give food to, to medics. And when we opened, you know, they were giving free chai to medics around here. It was very nice because, you know, they were all so tired. Some of them just stood outside having chai crying. It was the end of a very long shift. And these women would come out and give tea. And they felt, they felt very powerful and they felt they were healing. Then after every the, their journey of healing themselves, they had now become the healers and, you know, the givers. And that, that is so incredible. So this is really the success where, you know, I feel, uh, you know, first among equals. Yeah. And for people who don't know who are listening, the, the women who work in your kitchen, how did you how did you get together? How did you like gather that group of people? Well, I I met them, and they're still the same team. I met them. Uh, some of them they were nannies in the school uh, where my kids went. I lived opposite the school. I live in a very French area. They were live in nannies of French families. I kind of guessed that maybe they're not getting to eat a lot of their food, you know, during the week. And on the weekends, uh, they would leave the house and you know be away. And I told them, come to my house, come to my house. You know, we can listen to Hindi music. Uh, we can do Bollywood dancing and we can eat samosas and chai and chat. The irony of it all is that, you know, I would never have met them. India is a very class, caste, religiously divided society. You don't sit and meet people like this. You don't interact with them. So their initial hesitation, I remember the first time, uh, one of them came to my house. She wasn't sitting on my dining table. She was standing and saying, I'll drink my tea standing. I said, yeah, and you know, so will I. You are my guest, you sit down first. You sit down, then I can sit down. And that changed everything. They realized that, you know, here, because there is a difference between us, you know, they, they see it as a big difference between us. You know, I'm, I'm educated, I'm a different, um, you know, I come from a royal family. I, you know, so all of these things that, you know, they, they think that this makes her superior to us. This is just, you know, our society. And, you know, the same, and, and to say this doesn't exist in this country is wrong because you find this all the time. Accented people, people not so well-dressed will immediately feel intimidated by someone who looks more wealthy, powerful, speaks with a very posh accent, you know, went to Oxbridge and, you know, drives a Lamborghini. You know, you immediately feel lesser of a being because you compare them. To, this is human nature. But, you know, these, it's been, that is the kind of, you know, for me, really the success that, you know, we see, we see ourselves as a collective. And this yeah. is what is very successful. Yeah, incredible. And on the flip side of that, obviously this podcast is called <clears throat> Disasters and 
um, triumphs. So we're asking people to share times when they faced obstacles or felt a little bit derailed, you know, because of, as you said before, social media, we often just see the the good times or the, the happy times. Um, yours was quite a recent one, wasn't it? That you yes. Shared? And actually, I haven't discussed this. Uh, I just thought that uh, I know the kinds of people who will listen to this. I hope that they will all take strength from this, that, you know, I wanted to, you know, success is something that, you know, it seems that it happens, you know, visibly, publicly. Failure and complete fear and devastation happens very privately. And it was very tough, and I have didn't speak about it when it was I was going through it because I actually could not believe I was going through this. So I I decided to move during the pandemic. I had a loan from the bank, uh, which was you know quite close to two hundred thousand, but which has had come down to one hundred fifteen thousand by the time I was moving. And uh, I just informed them I was moving, and I was, and they asked for the money back. This was the money I was going to spend on refitting this place. Uh, you know, so it's not like, you know, you lose, you know, 10,000 or 20,000. This is 115,000 pounds. They asked me to return that now. And I I cried so much. I went out, it was raining. I was walking in the pouring rain. And I just thought, you know, is this my greatest defeat today? That I have no money. I have no way to do this. But then I thought, I'm going to return their money because I'm not going to hold on to things that are not mine. They want their money back, let them back. But they will watch me become so successful. This will be my my way to deal with this night of agony where I knew that returning this kind of money left me really with a huge hole in my budget. Miraculously, I managed. I managed, uh, and you know, I'm glad because my mother forced me to save money, and my friend, who's crazy, forced me to save money. And uh, people chipped in, and the women chipped in. Uh, at that time, I've repaid all their loans, but everybody was, you know, wanting to help me when they didn't have anything. So the bank who took back 115, that was my worst night. But when people who I know didn't have the money, offered you 200 pounds. That was a fortune. That felt like a fortune. It felt like, how can I lose? How can I be defeated? When people who have nothing, who are worried about their own futures, put their hands out and say, can we help you? You know, then you can't lose. Then you can't lose. It's a lesson for everybody, you know. If you see someone going through a hard time, you know that you cannot transform everything. But a little bit of compassion, a little bit of support does not have to be financial. Just letting them know that you are there for them, that you believe that they will make it, is life-changing for them. Take it from me. Stick around for more inspirational chats, stories and advice from Asma Khan. I was going to say, do you think as well, I think we have a problem sometimes asking for help when we need help you know because yeah. it's it can be like sh- not shameful but you know we kind of feel that like I should I should have known or I should have I should have been better prepared or I should have done it. but you can't help what life throws at you you know because sometimes yeah. it can just side 
blindside you completely. And I think, you know, as a as a race, we're quite bad at asking people for help, basically. Yes, I think this is true. And I think this is really true also for, for uh, women. I think from a very young age, uh, a lot of families expect you to be able to bear it, suck up to it, you know, not, you know, not collapse. And, you know, and then it's, it works very badly for boys as well, who are given the idea that they're macho and they're strong and crying and be asking for help. It's, I mean, such a pointless existence if you feel too proud to ask for help. If I had not, I wouldn't have had the space. It's beautiful. And, you know, I'm excited. I'm going to open in... in in a few weeks, and this would have been lost forever. Imagine, because of my pride. How is it worth anything? You should never, ever feel anxious that people will laugh at you because you failed. Because I've always talked about my failure. This is the first time I'm talking about the financial side of it. I've been through a lot, and I always speak about it, not because I want people to feel pity and sympathetic or I don't want to come across as somebody who overcame hurdles and is this superwoman who has dealt with everything. Not at all. I want to show you my scars because I want you to show me yours. I think honesty is 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 underrated. <laughs> just being honest, you know, just telling people how you're feeling. No, it's, I think we're scared of oversharing, but at the same time, you know, we kind of hide behind those social media and and this kind of perfect life thing. And that's that's equally as damaging, basically. So find no, absolutely. I think that I think that, you know, I'm I'm very glad that there was no social media on Facebook when I was growing up. My God, the trouble I would have gotten to. Too right. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you know, I'm so, you know, I, the kinds of things I did and you know, if I had been caught, you know, the whole world would know what I was up to, I'd begin to huge trouble. It's very unfair. I love the that, idea you know, of you as a troublemaker. <laughs> no, no, I was a troublemaker, but I would have gone into huge trouble and I yeah. would have not had the kind of life I had. The fact that, you know, so people have cameras on their phones, it's still like the worst thing possible. That, you know, you can be photographed somewhere where, you know, I have occasionally missed school and gone and done things that I shouldn't have. I got caught mostly in cake shops, but the cake shop owner told my mother, they couldn't give a photograph, so I just denied it, saying I wasn't there, you know, you know, this it wasn't me. And easy to say so to you because there's no proof. But I mean, just on, on a more serious note, I think that social media is very damaging. I think it's very damaging. There's too much fat shaming going on, there's too much discussions about perceptions of success. Moving to food, I think that uh food as art is fine, you know, present it as beautifully as you want. But when you start being prescriptive about what the food should be, this kind of holier-than-thou attitude that this was, you know, I hated this time when everyone was talking about clean eating. Yeah. You know? We all did. I, I can't, <laughs> no, I come from a country where people die of hunger. Do you want to tell them about clean eating and, you know, food that they think is dirty? There's something so horrible about this whole idea that certain foods are dirty. And I also have a concern about the way that a lot of ethnic food is seen as cheap and cheerful and there's too much of separation of food and culture. This happens too much on social media. You know, I you can be from Mars and you can cook biryani. I don't mind. Even if you cook it badly, I'm happy that you tried to make it. But at least show respect and honor for the origins and the roots of that dish. That's all I ask. Do not take away my food. Because I, I have often said this, you can't have my food and not take me. 
You cannot dislike my color of my skin, my accent, my Muslim name. You cannot dislike black people and then, you know, love this African beat. You know, you have no right to do that. If you like certain things about certain cultures, try and make an effort to connect to that culture, to understand people of that culture. Do not knock them down. Do not other them. Do not marginalize them. Give them rights. Give them spaces to come in. If this is what you enjoy, then there's other bits. You will never know unless you sit down on the table. You break bread with me and I tell you about my culture. You will never know the stories. You're going to buy some wrap in some supermarket and think this is Indian. And, you know, it's, it's as bad as, you know, I'm not racist. I have an Indian friend. Really? You know, it's just unacceptable to have these arguments. The world is now a different place. You have no right to have this caveman attitude towards people who have different skin color or look different. They're not going to take away your cattle. They're not going to attack you. They're not going to, you know, burn your houses. You know, we are the same. We're all, we can all live together. This lack of respect for people who look different, who are different, and the media, you know, hyping this up, you know, this whole idea where suddenly an asylum seeker, a migrant, and, you know, an immigrant, and an illegal immigrant, an illegal asylum, all becomes mergers. And people are just, are the fan, the fanning of hatred is very worrying to me, for me. Social media makes it so easy because there's no filtering. There's no filtering. That's one of the beauties of food, isn't it? That we do get that. When I knew I was talking to you, um, I'd spent Saturday cooking some of your food because I thought I need to know like what she's around. Um, and I had your amazing book. Um, and it was, it was great. And I felt like, I actually felt asthma like you were, um, you were kind of holding my hand through it because oh, there's a lot so of anecdotal you know, anyone who spends a whole page telling me how to cook onions, I'm on board with. That was brilliant. <laughs> and no, I was really proud. Like, yeah. No, no, you, and the food looked amazing that you cooked. <clears throat> so this is the thing that, you know, mm. when there's now a connection and next time, yeah. you know, you sit on the tube next to a woman who's, you know, Asian, maybe her yeah. coat smells of onions. You'll know why. You'll yeah. know why. <laughs> no, but it, I think it's so important, you know, yeah. to... To have that kind of, you know, openness and communication. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, you know, and I'm not just saying this because you're at Olive. I have, you know, I had Lulu on my second supper club on Lulu my Grimes, table. Yeah. In my, in my in my home. Yeah. And I made aloo chop for her, which is her childish dish because she grew up in the yeah, 2000s in India. In India. Yeah. And she told me this and I made aloo chop for her. And her response, the whole room was silent because there was this person who had that moment of connection with her childhood. She knew. And I, and it made me so excited. This is my yeah. childhood dish as well. It's a little kind of potato patty with, with keema inside it. And Lulu's response was, you know, I'm back where I, Aww. you know, I remember that. And tell us about um, the recipe that you make when you want to kind of soothe and comfort yourself, Asma. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has to be paratha because, you know, mm. I... And I'm very, very bad. I do carbs on carbs. I do what's, paratha. What's bad about that? That's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so I always have paratha with potatoes. And, uh, you know, I, I make the very simple, you know, square paratha. And uh, with I try to be nice. I make it with wholemeal flour so that I'm, I'm, I'm not being so naughty. But I put a lot of ghee, I put a lot of ghee and butter, which is uh, kind of balances it out. You need ghee and butter in your life. And uh, yeah, so it has to be paratha and potatoes. Potatoes any cooked any any way, and this it just feels 
like, you know, whatever has happened, this, my burden, I put down. Paratha and aloo in front of me, life is good. And the paratha, for people who don't know, is the... I mean, I it was one of the things I actually made on Saturday. It's um, probably nowhere near as what. In fact, I would love to come and watch you make it so I can improve my game. Um, it's you mix uh, wholemeal flour or chapati flour and water, let it rest, and then roll into a very thin circle, then brush with ghee, and then you kind of fold in the side so you're creating a little layered square, aren't you? But I like yes. the way in the book that you said... Um, that when you do this, it allows you to kind of, to have it ready. So when your guests arrive, you can just roll it out last minute and you don't have yeah. to roll a perfect circle. So you don't have to feel like a failure in that way. No, and the thing is that it's very forgiving, yeah. this shape, yeah. because it doesn't have to be a perfect round. And if it's, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a perfect square either. And uh, it's, and and resting it in that kind of rolled up, you know, when it's, when it's folded up into a square is so much nicer because very easy to roll after that. So you know, usually if you're just doing it, you know, I don't know, I'm very impatient. I can't be bothered to wait. So I roll it out <laughs> and keep, I roll it out, it rolls back, I roll it out, I have to keep waiting a bit before it rests and then I do it. Because I'm like, you know, I want to eat the paratha now. I don't have patience. But when you have guests, it's great. Because yeah. it also, mm. you know, looks good. It tastes so nice when it's mm. hot and crisp. The outside is crisp, the inside is a bit soft. Soft. Uh, it's it's, it's, scoop, it's, it's very, very scoop. comforting. Yeah. Well, we're going to... Um, <laughs> Hopefully, I, I'm going to get the, the recipe for that and we can put it up online on olivemagazine.com yeah. so people can then go and link into that and have a look at it. So final question I've got for you today, which um, I hope you're going to be able to answer, <laughs> is um, what would you say was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Could be big or small. Just I think the best advice I was given was, uh, by, was from my mother, uh, she, you know, would often tell me, uh, you know, my father and I would spend a lot of time at night on the roof uh, of the palace uh, looking at the stars and he would tell stories and Amma would, you know, be completely fed up and then come in, come with tea at dawn. And that's, she used to invariably every other day tell me the same thing. That's your opportunity. This is another day. And in that kind of, with the light of dawn, you know, cutting through the dark night, it was very strong, the imagery of light cutting through night, the dark. And she used to say, every day, make sure that you do something useful for someone else. Make sure you've done something for someone else. Leave, you need to leave a mark. You need to leave a legacy. And that had a profound effect on me. That was the best advice I got. And after the kind of year we've all been through, where all our normal life, was snatched away in one go, you know, things that we thought were normal, that we took for granted. This creative pause, I say, not, you know, uh, lockdown. I see this as a time when, you know, I hope that people have listened to their inner voice. You know, watch the dawn come in and you understand, you know, you're not counting down days till you are free and you can get out. Some of us are imprisoned in our minds. We are chained, but we don't recognize it. So I think the best, this is advice that Amma gave me, which is how I've led the rest of my life, is to see each day as, as, as a chance to heal someone else. That's such a beautiful thing to end on. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us, Asma. 
the most amazing luck with the restaurant. I'm coming down as soon as it's open and I can get in. But um, thank you again. Yeah, for and then when you to... come, I'll take you down and you we'll do a parata session. Yes, yes, please. I will be. Yeah, I'll, I'll get. <laughs> I'll get white. My God, my chef would be freaked out. And who is she? <laughs> New parata person. Yeah. Oh, I just found her somewhere in the restaurant. I bought her down. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in 100%. Thank you so much for that today. It was great to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Disasters and Triumphs, an Olive Magazine podcast series. To find out more about the series, including the recipes we talk about in each episode, visit olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find our huge back catalogue of over 200 podcast episodes. Don't forget to subscribe at Acast, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.